Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. It's great to be with you again uh, after my summer sabbatical. Today's theme topic is living in the desert without leaving your life. That is living in the desert without leaving your life. That is living as a desert father or mother without leaving your life. Now, I've been thinking and writing about this for many years, but this summer sabbatical in particular uh, deepened and even made clearer uh, my conviction around it. Now, with COVID-19 having impacted and really shifted the church dramatically around the world, and the church uh, finding itself as polarized as the world around right and left politics, and then with the scandals and lack of integrity stuff going on, um, it's amazing to me that a number of people want to go back to uh, 2019 and pre-pandemic type of ministry. And uh, I, I just see it so clearly. There's nothing more important uh, for all of us than getting to Jesus and learning to live in the desert without leaving your life as an active leader uh, for Christ. It's like Luke chapter 12, where Jesus says to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it does. And he says to the crowds, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but how is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Now, of course, he's referring to his himself and his coming, but there's a principle there about uh, seeing what's happening around us. And so the invitation today in this podcast is to live in the desert uh, without living, without leaving your life. So let me explain what I mean by desert as we launch into this. This comes from uh, church history in the third to the fifth centuries when men and women uh, began fleeing uh, from the cities, especially in Egypt and other places in the Middle East, and they were fleeing the moral compromise in the world and the church to get to the desert to the, to, in order to get to God and to get cleansed themselves first of the idols and contamination and worldliness that was both inside of them, in the world, and in the church. Why? So they could send a life raft to the church uh, so the church could be a gift as God intended to the world. And if you follow that history of the desert fathers and mothers, a great move of God followed. Um, communities began to emerge of, of thousands of monks and nuns, uh, especially in Egypt, which was the center of that. And they would do things like memorize all 150 Psalms and even the New Testament in some cases. And in the first 1,500 years of the church, uh, as monasteries began to flow out of the desert fathers and mothers, uh, the, the leaders of the church flowed out of these uh, monastic communities. Uh, in fact, kings and popes would come to them looking for wisdom. In fact, some historians have argued that every great revival in the history of the church has gone back to a desert spirituality. Well, I'm not sure I'd say every, but a number of great revivals in the history of the church have gone back to a desert spirituality. I like what uh, Merton uh, Thomas Merton wrote in his book, Wisdom of the Desert, he wrote about the Desert Fathers, as a shipwreck from which every single individual person had to swim for their life, there were men and women who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. They knew they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, Things were different. 
then they not only had the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. So in the same way, this invitation to live in the desert without leaving your life is an invitation to flee the world and our values and get a foothold in Jesus uh, so that we can uh, serve uh, the wider church and the world. Uh, so I'm coming out of my sabbatical and uh, summer sabbatical, and like all my other sabbaticals, and I've had four, uh, were, was ver- this one was very rich and eventful. And the title of this podcast actually comes from one of the books that I finished on sabbatical by William Harmless uh, called Desert Christians, an Introduction to the Literature of Desert Monasticism. It's almost a 500-page book, uh, very rich. Uh, and the book ends, the very last appendix ends with a, an extraordinary story from a little-known Ethiopian uh, text, Desert Father, from the 4th or 5th century. And it's, it's, it's written, especially for those of us who live in uh, large cities uh, or suburbs. And uh, a person, the story goes like this, a, a person, uh, one of the Desert Fathers, goes to one of the Abbas, one of the you know, elders, mature Desert Fathers, and he's complaining because so many people have come to the desert that it feels like a city to him. Uh, and he's lost his peace and his joy. Uh, and he goes, I didn't leave the city to go to another one. Uh, and he wanted peace and quiet. Uh, and so, much like many of us, but the wise desert father, his name was Abba Pullman, he recognized the issue was not the physical place of the desert. It was actually a desert heart. And so, the story goes, he, he comes to this Abba uh, wise desert father. And he goes, I've, I've gone everywhere to find somewhere to live and I can't find any peace. And the old man responds to him, go look for a good sized crowd. Go live among them as someone who does not exist. Say to yourself, I've got no worries. Then you will taste a royal peace. And so this uh, William Harmless, this scholar who wrote this massive work on the desert fathers, he closes the book with, with this, because I was so curious how he was going to bring this to a close about applications for today. And he writes this, we in the 21st century yearn for peace and silence in the desert, but the desert fathers remind us that the desert itself has its own demons. And often enough, we bring our own demons with us from the city. And he closes with this comment, if we are to know a royal peace, the peace of Jesus that passes no understanding, we need to etch out or carve out a desert heart. And I read that, wrote it in my journal, and I exclaimed to myself, that's it. It's etching. It's the word etching out a desert heart. Or it's, you know, and I end up looking up etching. What does it mean to etch out a desert heart or engraving? Uh, something on your heart. And they're both methods of methods of cutting lines into hard surfaces. And, you know, etching itself is an art. They use acid to remove metal and, you know, etch something into, into metal. Engraving is using a, a sharp tool to cut lines and physically carving into a metal surface. It, it's carving something away. It takes a lot of energy and art and care and thoughtfulness. It's meticulous. It's painstaking. It takes a lot of time. And I realized, oh, that's it. You know, what we're, what we're offering, what we're doing here, and this is an Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast, and what we're doing in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, uh, especially in the courses, we're not asking you to add an app to your phone, just draw a sketch with a pencil you can erase. Uh, this is not an app, a little something you add to some, some good sermons. It's actually meant 
to be etched into your heart. Uh, what we're talking about here, this desert spirituality, a deep spirituality of formation of EH discipleship is actually uh, meant to be engraved in your being and then engraved in your culture of a community out of which deep discipleship, deep formation, and thus impactful, powerful mission goes out into the world. So the question is, how do I live as a desert father or mother without leaving my life? Now, for Jerry and I, this has been our life work, has been studying transformation. How do people change? Uh, basically, how do you form leaders and how do you do discipleship in a church where Christ is formed in people deeply, Galatians 4.19, which was Paul's life work. So a, a few things that we that have emerged for us over the years, what does it look like? And, you know, some general guidelines and uh, are things like, you know, one, you got to make a radical decision uh, that I'm going to get to a desert place in a sense, my own heart, uh, that, that I'm going to get free from the adrenaline and culture and kind of, of Western culture and even church culture. Uh, and be before God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow that ancient path of Mo, path of Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist and the desert fathers and mothers. And my number one issue on my job description is gonna be to grow and mature as a disciple of Jesus, leading out of a deep inner life with Him. That is my first work. And basically, I'm gonna put myself in a space where God can meet me and change me and deal with things like the seven deadly sins uh, or the eight evil thoughts of Evagrius. Uh, through church history, things like gluttony and fornication and love of money and acedia and vainglory and or thirst for fame and pride and anger. I mean, you name it. But I'm, I'm going to make this radical decision to adjust my entire life as if I was fleeing to the desert physically, but I'm going to get to God. And then I'm going to integrate things like silence and solitude deeply in my life uh, as I'm leading and serving others. I'm going to be immersed in scripture, soaking in it, uh, eating it as Ezekiel talks about and John in Revelation talks about it. So it becomes a part of me, not for sermons or messages, but to be in me. I'm going to commune with Jesus all through the day that he's my life. I'm going to practice things like Sabbath delight, stopping and resting and delighting for a 24-hour period each week because God's on the throne. He's got it. I can rest. He's taking care of the universe quite well without me. I'm going to discover rhythms of, of things like the daily office and stopping to be with him three, four times a day. Um... And I'm going to craft a rule of life, uh, uh, which came out of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, this intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything I do. And with my unique spiritual practices, I'm going to continue to hone that as I move through different seasons. Uh, and then I'm going to learn from trusted companions who are ahead of me in the journey. Uh, now, you may say, I don't, come on, Pete, I, I don't have time for this. Uh, how am I going to do it? Well, you may not have time for it, but not doing it, the cost is much greater. Uh, because we've got to get out of the cultures and systems that we ourselves sometimes have created. Think about it. What's the alternative? Uh, going back to, quote, normal, uh, I want to offer you an imagination of living and leading differently than perhaps you did in 2019. There is another way. It's really the way of the desert. And the Holy Spirit's going to guide you on specifically how to do it in your context. I promise. The Holy Spirit's been given to us for power, of course, but also to lead us and guide us into all truth. And I had a person come to me recently in a uh, leading a large church in a city. Uh, he goes, how, how? And I just said, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you just, just like he led me and has led tens of thousands of others through history on how to do this in your particular calling and life and geography and leadership and the pressures on you. 
you know, I just, as I was preparing this and I began to just make a list of what, what are, why? And I imagined you were across the table from me at, uh, at my desk here. And I'm trying, I'm pleading with you to, uh, to, to etch or, or engrave a desert heart inside of you that Jesus can deeply transform you. And why, why live in the desert uh, and have this as, as core to your life? And I'm going to give you 10 reasons. Uh, I whittled it down. But here's a few. One is that your own relationship with Jesus will be filled with freedom and joy. It's going to free you. Uh, if you go on this path of a desert spirituality, it's going to free you from all success addiction. Uh, success is an addiction. Uh, it's like workaholism is a terrible addiction. But because for a success addict, uh, you're never successful enough. No one's ever famous enough or powerful enough or rich enough. The ministry is never big enough. Uh, I like what the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer wrote as in 19th century. He wrote, wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. And he says, the same is true of fame. Could you imagine yourself free from any pressure of feeling like, you have, feeling like you have too much to do in too little time? Imagine being free from living in stress and anxiety and tightness in your body. Imagine getting free from being concerned with, with what other people think or being fearful about the future. Imagine being free from always rushing or being easily offended or getting defensive or being preoccupied and distracted. Just imagine getting free from uh, firing off quick opinions and judgments that you regret later. Or imagine getting free from being threatened by other people's apparent success. Well, that's only one reason to do this uh, desert pathway. But the second is that you'll make disciples and develop people around you who are deeply grounded in Jesus. Again, we can't give what we don't possess. We can only give what we do possess. Uh, a third great gift of going this route of desert spirituality is you and those you lead will be able to handle uh, big life transitions and crises that come your way. You'll be able to let go and change as God allows and leads you. And you'll be able to withstand pressures and tribulations and even negative political shifting going on around you. It won't phase you because you have a deep grounding uh, beyond all that. Uh, a fourth great reason is it's health, you'll build healthy community. Uh, people, men and women with a healthy interdependence uh, and uh, who are able to love not out of a unmet need within them, but out of God-given uh, community of loving one another. Uh, another great reason to go this journey, number five, is that it's for the world to know God out of our deep knowledge of God within ourselves and our ministries. Uh, you, you'll, you'll see the a sixth reason is you'll see the church and current events from a heavenly perspective, uh, from God's perspective, not simply the news that you read in the newspapers or hear uh, on, on in the news or TV. It'll protect you uh, from temptation from the evil one. Uh, there'll be there'll be a, a, a strength and a wisdom from that. Your preaching and teaching will be transformed because you'll you'll be preaching or teaching out of a communion with God, a communion with yourself. Because you're free from what other people think, you'll actually be in communion with the people you're speaking to. I don't care if the crowd is three, five, or 5,000, uh, but preaching really is about communion, if you think about it. Uh, and then you'll have a, this is my ninth reason of why I go on this path of desert, uh, desert spirituality, is uh, you'll have a different view of suffering and insults. Uh, you'll endure hardship as discipline, Hebrews 12. Uh, I like what one desert father wrote. Nothing is more useful to the beginner than insults, like watering a tree every day. Uh, you just see things differently. You'll see God in, in it all. And then finally, you'll learn that prayer uh, 
becomes, it's not something so much we do, but it's something we are that flows out of a desert father saying. So I want to invite you on this journey uh, to see your life and your leadership differently, to live in the desert in the midst of an active life that it's not just possible, it's God's invitation to you and to me. Now, my sabbatical, I, I, I took this sabbatical, it was my fourth, out of a deep commitment to myself uh, to lead out of a deep place and out of a, uh, out of a desert. Um, because it's really true that in the stillness of your heart, clarity is born. In the stillness of your heart, clarity is born. I wrote that in my journal after day like six or seven. Uh, so I want to share with you a few insights uh, that came out of my own uh, sabbatical. And I'll start with the first one, which was uh, inviting people like you, uh, leaders and folks serious about following Jesus, to a desert spirituality more forcefully and clearly than ever, to live in a desert without leaving your life. Um, I'd say that one fruit that came out of my sabbatical was a deepened conviction to move the church, and especially her leadership, to uh, uh, an emotionally healthy, what we call discipleship and leadership. It's a critical need. We have a piece to play in the larger thing of what God's doing in the world today, and uh, to be clear and strong about it. So we've given our lives, uh, Jerry and myself, and um, over the last 26 and a half years, to develop what we call the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course, Part 1 and Part 2, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. We put our best work uh, into this course. It's our best thinking, or it's our best wrestling over the decades. And the principle of the living as a desert father or mother is built into it. Uh, we've built into the course many missing elements of traditional discipleship pathways in the Western church. Uh, and then we create a training to transform the culture uh, of your leadership and of your entire ministry, and then out of that to go out into the world for Jesus. It's the fruit of 26 and a half years. It's not a program, uh, although it does have a programmatic element uh, because it's something you install in, in a ministry, a church. It's not plug and play. It's not you take off the shelf and buy a box and you execute it. The order is the key. First, you live it yourself. You do it yourself. Go through it yourself. Begin to implement it in your own life with Jesus. Begin to craft your own desert, even when small steps to live in a desert without leaving your life. And then you bring it to your team, uh, the few or your leadership. And then after that, you begin to walk it out as a leadership a little bit, making some steps into a desert spirituality. And then you bring it to your wider church or ministry. And we spent many years uh, developing a two-level, two-part training to actually do the course uh, and you can find that at emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. It's actually free, and we've just completed, could you imagine we're in this 26 and a half years? We've just completed level two and downloaded it into uh, what we call our training vault. And level one training is will show you how to master the launching of the EH Discipleship Course, part one and two how to get started. You'll learn like, for example, five musts for a successful launch, five pitfalls to avoid, how to orient table leaders. And it's for the first time doing the course and you'll know exactly what to do and not to do to get started and to launch uh, this kind of serious transformation for your people. But level two training is about unleashing a disciple making culture in your entire church and ministry. It builds on level one and showing you how exactly to train your leaders to deeply live out the content of the course. And in turn, they can then train others 
uh, at tables or breakout rooms. So they'll learn deeply, how do I really engage in this daily office in silence? Uh, how do I do Sabbath in such a way that I can share it with somebody else? How do I learn to mentor people uh, back into their families of origin and break negative patterns so they can move forward into the life God has given them, learn how to coach a genogram? They'll learn how to coach new relationship skills like clean fighting and speaking clearly, respectfully, and honestly, and uh, and they'll learn to love like Jesus. They're going to be able to teach others to do it, not just do it themselves. It's about forming an entire disciple-making culture and leadership development track in your ministry. Again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. Just check it out. It's all free, and uh, it is, it's gold from where I sit. So to summarize, the core of my life work really is, and our life work in EH discipleship is not about developing materials. Um or a course. It's about calling pastors and leaders in particular to become desert fathers and mothers, to develop a depth with God and interior life with Jesus out of which all of life flows. Let me share with you a few other insights that came out of my sabbatical, again, out of uh, setting some time aside uh, for an extended time to be with Jesus. And and uh, I'm going to share, I got like six or seven, eight major things. The first, of course, was the what I just shared with you out of uh, the a deepened conviction about uh, calling the church to a desert spirituality in the midst without leaving their life. But a, a key a key theme for my uh, sabbatical came out of Psalm one hundred six thirteen, where uh, the, the the psalmist begins to recount all the great things God had done for Israel, uh, like opening the Red Sea, bringing them to the Promised Land. But then it says this: but they soon forgot what He had done, and did not wait for His plan to unfold. And the Lord gripped me early on on my sabbatical with that one verse, but they soon forgot what he had done. And I thought, oh my gosh, how often I forget what God has done for me and I get anxious and fearful. And they did not wait for his plan to unfold. And so that, I, 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 I meditated on that text throughout my entire summer sabbatical. Uh, I love the phrase, they did not wait for his plan to unfold. And again, you've got this image of a plan unfolding. God's plan slowly unfolds. They couldn't possibly see the big picture. I think of them coming out of the Red Sea, and they've got Pharaoh's troops behind them, and the sea's not open before them. But God's plan is going to, going to unfold at just the right time. And they didn't want to wait, so they got anxious. And, and I just love that phrase. And so I applied it to my own life, my family. Uh, our marriage, our, then the leadership of EHD, the future of the church, just being able to wait for God's plan to unfold. I just love that. I spent large chunks of time in scripture uh, and communion with God. Uh, there were times I, I felt that so many seeds from God were coming to me that I couldn't catch my breath. I wrote, my, wrote that in my journal a couple of times, like, oh my gosh. And in particular, the themes of hope and heaven and the resurrection and uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation and Romans were, were gigantic for me, but it was just so rich, so rich. And Jerry and I spent eight days, for example, at Glacier National Park in Montana. Uh, we hiked eight, 10, 12 miles a day, and uh, we made a commitment to travel and visit the incredible beauty of the, our national parks each year. And I, I love um, John Muir, one of his quotes, he goes, I only went out for a walk and I finally concluded to stay out till sundown. For going out, I found, was really going in. And that has been that was Jerry and I, my experience as well. Did a lot, a lot of reading on sabbatical, from cosmology to quantum physics stuff. Uh, I just, I find it 
incredibly fascinating and affirming to want to pray and to marvel at our God who's created this vast universe. Read some great novels, excellent theology, uh, a number of books on even the history of the United States on Jefferson, sorry, and Thomas Jefferson and some of the roots of the genogram of the United States in particular around issues of race and class. Uh, I read a great book on on number books on racism. It was just tremendous. And then I did I did some I, I read a number of books on writing because I'm I'm transitioning. And actually, this summer I made the transition in sabbatical to actually begin writing the emotionally healthy marriage book and a course. It's a really a large project. And I, you know, I read reread people like Rilke that if you cannot do this, then don't don't write. Go do something else. And I am at a place where I it's been a slow building of I I cannot not do this. And it's like a like a, a compelling. Uh, by the spirit inside of me that I've, I've got to write. And, uh, you know, people like, you know, I've read Toni Morrison and Gladwell and David McCullough and uh, just letting, learn from people who are actually writer writers. Um, Keep your butt in a chair by one, 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 one writer said. And uh, I just kept fiddling with my outline. I've got probably a now 13 to 15 page outline as ideas kept popping into my head without even thinking about it. Uh, and uh, so now that I'm back, I'm, putting aside at least one full day a week to, to write. And that's been great. Came Again, that transition came out of my desert sabbatical. Then, of course, the theme of surrender was a big one for me. I shouldn't say, of course. Uh, it was. I wasn't looking for it to be a theme. Uh, and I went back to uh, the work of Eckhart, Meister Eckhart from the 1300s. And uh, he writes about prayer. And I'll read you a couple of insights. And I just ended up meditating on it quite a bit. And and he goes, when we pray, he writes that there should be no trace of I want this or I don't want that. Uh, because if you say I want this or don't, or if you say things like I don't want this, God, he goes, it's a sure poison uh, for all obedience. And he said, a better way to pray, he writes, is Lord, give me nothing but what you will and do, Lord. I'm sorry, he says, Lord, give me nothing but what you will and do, Lord, whatever and however you will in every way. Think about that one for a while. Lord, give me nothing but what you will, and do, Lord, whatever and however you will in every way. In other words, he writes, the most powerful prayer proceeds from an empty spirit. The emptier the spirit, the more is the prayer, and the more powerful it is. And he, just, and he says, what's an empty spirit? It's one that's confused by nothing, attached to nothing, and has no, no concern whatever for its own gain, but has sunk deep down into God's dearest will and has forsaken its own. And he goes, right, once we do this, God's going to fill us with himself. And uh, we lose our lives to find our lives. Whoever has renounced his will, he writes, and himself has renounced everything. He goes, this is Matthew 5, 3, what it means to be poor in spirit, poverty of spirit. He goes, it's the beginning and everything depends on that. If there was a better way of living, he writes, the Lord would have said it. But he writes, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, will deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. Listen, I love the church. I have great hope for the church around the world. I have great hope for you, for men and women who are leading and going to be leading uh, his church in different ways and uh, parachurches and churches around the world. Uh, and so I want to invite you. Uh, I want to invite you to uh, live in the desert without leaving your life, uh, to go on this large journey. I had a good friend uh, who's been actually in leadership for 40 years. And he's been you know, around EH discipleship for a good 10 years. And he says, you know, Pete, I'm 10 years into this thing. He goes, I'm, st I'm finally starting to really get it. It's a long journey. So let me invite you to get, you know, go, go to this training thing at emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. Go to our website, look at it uh, and look at changing 
perhaps your culture by changing your, letting God change you. It's a new day, everybody. I'm often asked, you know, Pete, give me something to read, you know, to get me started on this whole desert fathers and mothers thing, you know, and uh, I would just invite two very simple books to get started. Uh, One is Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton, very small book. But uh, the standard text is Sayings of the Desert Fathers by Benedict Ward. Uh, Again, you don't read it like a book, you meditate on their sayings uh, and you ponder them before God and let them sink deep in you. One final thought, and this too comes from Meister Eckhart. He goes, we ought not to think too much about what we could do, but rather what we can be. In other words, if we are holy, then everything we do becomes holy. If we're just, then everything we do is just. If you're kind, then everything you do, no matter what you do, will be filled with kindness. And it's not what we do that makes us holy, it's but, but what we make holy whatever we do, if we're holy. So in other words, to the extent that we are becoming like Jesus, holy, kind, good, and have this in our being, to that extent, all of our works are holy and good in being. It's like you can be eating or sleeping or praying all night, but take good, take heed, right? So we ought to do everything we can to be good like Jesus. And what matters is the ground on which all our works are built, which is our being. God bless you, everybody. It's been so good to be with you. Again, may you, by God's grace, embark on this journey of living in the desert without living your life. And may you taste the royal peace of Jesus, which transcends all understanding. And may it fill you and go through you in his name. God bless you. Bye-bye.